the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. Well, the series we've been in, and this is week four, is entitled Locating Me. Today's message is called Part Four, The Right Side of the Cross. The right side of the cross. We've been looking at the players during the Passion Week, the people that were there when Jesus laid down his life on the cross. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Matthew 27. The Gospel of Matthew, verse. Uh, chapter 27, we're going to start in verse 24. 27-24. It said, Pilate saw that he wasn't getting anywhere and that a riot was developing. So he sent for a bowl of water and he washed his hands before the crowd. He said, I'm innocent of this man's blood. The responsibility is yours. See, he couldn't find anything wrong with Jesus because there wasn't anything to be found. In verse 25, it says, and all the people yelled back. How sad is that? All the people yelled back. We will take responsibility for his death. We and our children. Ouch. So who all was in that crowd? who wants to take responsibility for the death of Jesus. I started to call today's message, Killing Jesus. Who killed Jesus? Was it the Pharisees? They were the ones that popped up the front in my mind. I said it before. The religious are always trying to kill Jesus. By religious, I mean those who seek to be right in God's eyes by their own works. A self-righteous, a man-centered righteousness. But to do that, you got to do it at the expense of God's grace. Are you listening to me? If we could have worked our way to salvation, why did Jesus even die on the cross? Okay? You're just making the cross of none effect if you think... that I can be right in God's eyes just because I'm such a wonderful person. If you could have done that, then Jesus, when he said, if there be another way, the Father said, oh, okay, I see another way. Because Daniel's so perfect, man. Come on up, back up, Jesus. We don't need you. That wasn't what happened. (laughs) Daniel, you come close now, I know. But... To be self-righteous, you do so at the expense of the grace of Jesus. At the expense of the cross. Well, these religious folks, these Pharisees, these Sadducees, these teachers of religious law, you know, they had been chasing Jesus around for months trying to trip him up. Trying to get that big aha 
moment. Sort of like the news media today, trying to trip somebody up. Oh, we're going to get him. We're going to get him. Get him to say something that we can bring him down. But the more that they tried to do it, the more Jesus' Jesus's light, Jesus' truth, it just exposed their hypocrisy. They couldn't get him. If you read the Gospels and listen to the things Jesus said, man, he's like Clint Eastwood on steroids. I mean, he is, man, he laid it down. He's, he's the coolest of cool. We serve a cool God. I mean, he knew the Zach's right thing to say at the right time. He's like John Wayne, you know. I mean, some of y'all don't even, ain't old enough to know who John Wayne is. Y'all ever heard of, y'all ever heard of John Wayne? <laughs> in one scripture, in the King James, after Jesus tore him up, it said they durst not ask him any more questions. <laughs> I love the King James, don't you? They durst not. D-U-R-S-T. They durst not ask him. They didn't learn a lesson. <laughs> Stop messing with him. Man, he's tearing us up. He's making us look foolish. So when they couldn't get him with an aha moment, what'd they do? They decided to cut a backroom deal with a traitor. We can't get him legally. We can't out. We can't. Our position doesn't seem to be better than his position. That's a lot of what's going on today, ain't it? They can't have a conversation with anybody because they know their logic doesn't match up. So then they begin to do the backroom deals in darkness, in the dark alleys. Luke twenty-two fifty-two. <laughs> yes, they do too. Luke twenty two fifty two. This is in the garden when they came and got Jesus. Jesus spoke to the leading priest. This is all who, I just thought it was the temple guards. But apparently these other people were here. Listen, Jesus spoke to the leading priest, to the captains of the temple guard, and to the elders who had come for him. He said, am I some dangerous revolutionary that you come with swords and clubs to arrest me? Why didn't you arrest me in the temple? I was there every day. But this is your moment when the power of darkness reigns. See, they came at nighttime. They came when the people wasn't watching because Jesus done made a fool out of them in front of the people. And then they, they had this kangaroo trial, this mock trial thing, that, and Caiaphas, the high priest, is presiding over. He's supposed to be the head religious man. That's like the, the pastor in the church or the, the apostle or something. He's supposed to be the highest uh, ranking religious figure in the nation of Israel. And he's here entertaining false testimony, trying to find somebody to say something that'll stick on Jesus. He just forgot all sense of justice. He's not, he's not interested in justice. In fact, when Jesus, when he asked Jesus, is he the Messiah? He said, you say that I am. Oh, he ripped his clothes in a show of disdain. How dare he say he's the son of God? Just hating on Jesus. In Matthew 26, 67, it says, they begin to spit in Jesus' face. 
this ain't down at the WWE. This ain't down at 201 Poplar. This is at the high priest house. These are religious folks. Supposed to have at least a show of piety. And they're going to spit in a man's face. They begin to spit in Jesus' face and beat him with their fist. And if that wasn't bad enough, some of them slapped him as a further show. Jeering, saying, prophesy to us, you Messiah, who hit you that time? These are the religious folks. These ain't the Romans. These are those who are professed to love God and to be spokesmen for God. Why such hatred? Why such contempt? What had he done? He hadn't done anything. They were jealous. They were jealous. Even Pilate knew it. Matthew 27, 18 says he knew very well that the religious leaders had arrested Jesus out of envy because he had what they wanted. He had the respect because of his decency, because of his honor, because of his character. He had the things that they wanted to get cheap. The religious say, Hey, look at me. Don't look at Jesus. Look at me. Jesus is good and everything, but look at me. Look how good I'm doing. I'm the one really doing this. John the Baptist had it correct when he said, I must decrease and he must increase. That is the right way to look at it. John the Baptist had a big crowd following. His disciples said, man, this Jesus, he's, they're baptizing more than you are. John's like, it ain't a competition. I'm on his side. In fact, if me decreasing makes him increase, that's what needs to take place. But the religious, those with the religious spirit believe the opposite. I need to look good in front of the people. I must increase. And of course, we'll do godly things in the process. They love the flowing robes, the Pharisees, the big prayers, the, the religious power structure being met in the marketplaces. They loved all that stuff. Jesus said in Matthew 23, 15, what sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law? You Pharisees, hypocrites, for you cross land and sea to make one convert, then you turn that person into twice the child of hell as you yourselves are. Because you make them followers of you and not followers of me. A religious spirit out of necessity must kill Jesus. 
A guy named Frank Powell wrote an article called Modern Day Pharisee. He gave 12 things that he saw of how people act like modern day Pharisees. I looked up, there was a whole bunch of articles about modern day Pharisee. I wonder why. I could have sat here for an hour and a half just reading off the things that, the traits of a modern day Pharisee, but I just wrote seven of them down just to kind of give you an idea. There's a whole lot of the things that you could say. And, and because some of these things you see in your life, that don't mean you're a modern-day Pharisee, but these are the things that you look for, warning signs, that you've got a religious spirit maybe a little bit. You believe your works and your church attendance is what makes you right with God. You spend more time talking about what you're against than what you're for. You don't repent of sin because you don't have any serious sins to repent of. You make every issue black and white. You read the Bible to substantiate your convictions, not to be shaped into God's image. In other words, I've got my area of expertise in the Bible and I read it so that I can gather information to show everybody how smart I am about a subject. Not that I want the Word of God to change me, but I want to go around and prove how smart I am. And so you read the Bible to substantiate your convictions. And they're usually narrow convictions. You believe outsiders should conform to a certain lifestyle before being accepted as a Christian. And if someone tries to rebuke you, you get angry and offended. Ouch. You know why I say ouch? Because I've been guilty of all of these. And I can still be guilty on any given day of any of these. It's a spirit. It's something that it tries to attach itself to us. It's a tool of the enemy. It's a deception that he's trying to get you to walk in, to forget the grace that God gave you when you were born again, the mercy he's shown you, the love he gave you when you didn't deserve it. And we forget where we came from, and then we begin to build ourselves up. It's about building the kingdom of God, not ourselves. And the kingdom of God is peace, love, and joy. Righteousness in the Holy Ghost. It's good things. It's the goodness of God that leads man to repentance. So these things, these things work to kill what Jesus is doing. We need to ever check our heart and think about our motives behind what we're doing. You know, Nicodemus was a Pharisee. How many remembers where you find Nicodemus in the Bible? John chapter 3, right? Nicodemus came to Jesus when? At nighttime, under the cover of darkness. Why? Because that's what religious spirits do. They can't survive the light. They got to come in at night. And so he didn't want to be seen with Jesus. But something was going on in Nicodemus. Obviously, he was seeing something. You know, you can have a religious spirit 
and not even mean to? You know that you could be like a Pharisee and you just think that that's the way you was taught. You don't even know no better. You can think you're doing God a favor by being like that. Nicodemus probably was like that. He was a little nervous to be seen with Jesus, so he came at night. But he had some honest questions to talk to the Lord about. Jesus told him, you must be born again. Jesus told him a lot of good stuff. In John 3.16, he told him, for God so loved the world. He began to tell him about God's love and how it's for everybody. Anyway, in John 19.38, it says, when Pilate gave permission, this is after Jesus had died on the cross, Joseph, meaning Joseph of Arimathea, he came and took the body of Jesus away. And with him came Nicodemus. What? In the daylight? At Jesus' final hour? Maybe something happened to Nicodemus. Maybe his encounter with Jesus began to soften his heart because it said the man who had come to Jesus at night, he now brought 75 pounds of perfumed ointment made of myrrh and aloes. We always marvel at the woman who broke her alabaster box and poured it over Jesus. That was a little alabaster box. <laughs> Nicodemus is bringing 75 pounds to anoint the body of Jesus for burial. A man who was once a Pharisee. There's hope for all of us, amen? We can all come out into the light of God's love and grace. We don't have to stay in darkness. Let's talk about Judas. He's, maybe he's responsible for Jesus' death, right? Could be. I mean, the Pharisees, they were the ones that came and got him, but Judas was the one that told on him. Judas is known as a traitor, right? Traitor is defined as a person who is not loyal or true to a friend. Not loyal or true to a duty, a cause, or a belief, or is false to a personal duty. Sounds like Judas. What happened to Judas? I mean, he was doing so good. He was... One of the trusted, trusted 12, trusted 12. <laughs> That's all, folks. John told me to say that after I mess up my words. Thank you, John. I believe Judas had false expectations about what following Jesus would mean. You know, he was all for, let's bring in the kingdom. Let's overthrow the Romans. He had a lot of, probably had a lot of bitterness towards the Romans. You know, he was ready for change. He thought following Jesus was going to bring it all at once. And he's like, why all the trials? Why all the pain? Why all the hardship? Jesus, let's just get this thing done. Let's set up the kingdom. Where's the effortless victory that I was expecting? Aren't you the Messiah? And when Jesus failed to meet his false expectations, he grew bitter. And he sold out his own Savior. Mm. Let me ask you a question. Were you given false expectations about your Christianity? Because, I mean, 
There's been some things told about Christianity, things preached about Christianity. Man, it made it sound so good, so easy. Just get you a ticket, man. Just get you a ticket. Just say this prayer. And then, man, there won't be no pain, no sickness, no sorrow. Your kids won't go astray. Nothing bad will happen. You'll be rich. You can drive a big, long limousine to church. Not as long as the pastors, but right up there with him. You were promised rainbows and moonbeams. A cushy life where you float around on a cloud with angels playing harps and stuff. That everything was going to be all right. Did they tell you that if you just believe hard enough, you can have it? Implying that if you don't have it, then you're not believing hard enough. So we say... If I could just work up enough faith, if I could just work up enough faith, if I could believe hard enough, if I, say I, I. could just work up, say work, work. Up, enough faith. up enough faith. If I could just work up enough faith. If I could work, if I could work, does that sound anything like grace? So many people, and I talk to them, have been hurt by a false presentation of what Christianity is. They've grown bitter. They left their hurts and disappointments lead them to the enemy's camp. And they begin to openly work to undermine Christ. People who said, this Christianity don't work. I believed and it didn't happen. I rubbed the... The genie lamp just right, and it didn't work out at all. I put my money in the machine, and it didn't give me anything. You know, I think Judas made the mistake of wanting his treasure now. He wanted the kingdom on earth now. And so do we. So do we. We want our treasure now. We fail to recognize that Jesus always works in the spiritual realm before he gets to the natural realm. There is coming a day when everything will be made right. Then all scores will be settled. He said, I come to make all things new. But he had to come first as the suffering servant. And the Jews still don't recognize that today. That's why they dismiss him as the Messiah. He couldn't be him because he didn't set up a new kingdom on the earth. They don't know he's coming back. Look at your neighbor and say, this ain't heaven yet. This is a light affliction. <laughs> That's what the Bible calls this light affliction. It's but for a moment. But it worketh for us a far greater weight of glory in the life to come. You can't endure. Don't grow weary in well-doing. There's coming a day of rest. Stand strong like Jesus stood strong till the end. Because he was willing to go to the lowest parts of the earth. God has highly exalted him and given him a name above every name. Not because he was willing to go to the heights first. 
that he was first willing to go to the lower parts and humble himself to, to death, even the death on the cross, the criminal's death. Think it not strange when fiery trials and temptations arise in your life. This ain't heaven. Jesus said you'll have tribulation, persecution, trouble on every side. He told us. He said, but I've overcome the world. True faith is trust in Jesus, whatever may come. Whatever happens down here, if I have to go in the fire, I believe Jesus is getting in there with me. If somebody in my life has to die, I believe Jesus is going to be there with me to strengthen me and comfort me through that. We can't all live forever. It's appointed to man once to die. Then the judgment. We trust Jesus through the good times, the hard times, the easy times, the breezy times, and the really rough times. Whatever times we got to trust and hold on to Jesus because we know our resurrection day is coming. There is a day coming. But we ain't there yet. But hold on. I'm going to say something maybe sound a little bit strange at first. The stupidest thing that Judas ever did was not betraying Jesus. What are you talking about, Willis? Let that sink in a moment. The stupidest thing he ever did, it wasn't when he betrayed Jesus. We've all done that. A million times in a million little ways. Every time we do something he told us not to do, and we do it anyway. We've all betrayed Jesus. The stupidest thing he ever did was afterwards he wouldn't repent. Peter denied Jesus three times at the same day. But Peter, as hard-headed as he was, loved Jesus enough to jump out of the boat and swim back to his Lord and be forgiven, be restored. And Peter went on to do great and mighty exploits, to be the pillar of the early church. Don't you think Judas could have been forgiven? Judas didn't. This is what Judas did, did wrong. Judas didn't recognize the immensity of God's grace and forgiveness. That's the stupidest thing anybody could ever do. To not recognize that a man who would hang on the cross for you will forgive you and love you unconditionally. It was in this, the more grievous transgression, that he became self-loathing and Judas hanged himself. How sad. How sad backsliders just come home. Just come. 
Do you think he's up there holding grudges? Or does he just wait for his child to come back home so he can put the the robe back on his shoulders and the ring back on his finger and the shoes back on his feet and kill the fatted calf and have a party? Just come home. How long will you stay in the pig pen? Eating the dirt and the filth of this world when you could eat at the king's table. Pharisees, Judas. Now we're going to talk about the two thieves on the cross. These are all players during Passion Week. These two thieves were confronted with the cross up close and personal. In fact, they were on one too. Right beside Jesus, on either side, one on his left and one on his right. And just about everybody, except for a few faithful in that crowd, man, they were just railing on Jesus. Thought he was just the biggest joke. What a disappointment. This was supposed to be the Messiah. Matthew 27, 41 says the leading priest and the teachers of religious law and the elders also mocked Jesus. He saved others, they scoffed, but he can't save himself. So he is the king of Israel, is he? Let him come down for that cross. Then we'll believe in him. He trusted God to rescue him. Now, now let's see what's going to happen. If he, if he now wants him for he said, I am the son of God. Ha, ha, ha. And then in verse 44, it says, even the revolutionaries, the thieves, who were crucified with him, ridiculed him in the same way. You know, I didn't realize that, but both of them ridiculed Jesus. I'd heard the story about the one saying, remember me when you go to your kingdom. And so I thought maybe just one of them. But no, both of them on the cross were ridiculing Jesus. So what changed the one's mind? Because one of them changed his mind. He, he looked at the other and said, just, just stop, man. You know, this guy ain't done nothing wrong. Let's just stop. Then he looks at Jesus and says, would you remember me when you come into your kingdom? He humbled himself. He recognized God's grace on the cross right next to him. Jesus has a way of getting into the heart of what's in a person. Just being with him, around him. Spend some time with him. Get to know him. It'll change your heart. And the cross has a way of demanding a decision. The cross demands a, a, a decision on your part. Hebrews 4.12 tells us, for the word of God is alive and powerful. Who is the word of God? Jesus, the word of God made flesh. He's alive. There's a resurrection message. He is alive and he is powerful. And so is his written word. He is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword cutting between the soul and the spirit. Between the joint and the marrow, it exposes the innermost thoughts and desires. Jesus does this. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes. And he is the one to whom we are accountable. Just being on that cross next to Jesus, man, it divided what was really going on in this man's heart. Some people are so blusterous, they'll just say anything. They're just trying to fit in. But deep down, they're really looking for what Jesus is offering. 
They don't know who they are. Without Jesus, how could any of us know who we are? So many people out there hurting, and they may be the loudest talkers, and you may, there ain't no way to reach that person. You don't know what's in their heart. But Jesus does. And if we can get them to Jesus, he'll change their heart. Just being around him. If we can get them to see the cross, see him high and lifted up, he'll draw all men to him. Turn to Matthew 25, 31. I'm sorry. I, the less voice I have, the louder I shout. Matthew 25, 31. I'm sorry. I don't mean to yell at y'all. I'm not yelling at you, am I? I'm just excited. I'm passionate. We're the Passion Church. Can you imagine a pastor up here of the Passion Church? Okay, turn to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. Uh, what? <laughs> no, Matthew 25, 31 says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels are with him. Can you imagine that day? And he will sit upon his glorious throne. And all the nations will be gathered in his presence. Everybody. And he will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep on his right hand. And he'll put the goats on the left. Oh, what a day that will be. One thief allowed the suffering of Christ to soften him. He came to his senses, and he got on the right side of the cross. That's all he did. He didn't deserve it. He didn't work and show Jesus how great he is. He didn't give him Jesus his resume. He just simply, simply humbled himself and came to Jesus and got on the right side of the cross, became a sheep, stopped being a goat. And you know what? Jesus didn't have to promise him a worldly bonanza for him to do it. He didn't have to come to him lying about what the kingdom of God will do for him and how it will meet all your earthly, worldly desires to do it. But he did promise him something, a glorious resurrection. You know, just as Christ was raised from the dead, we too will be raised from these mortal bodies and be given immortal bodies. We too will be raised from this corruption and and given incorruption, we too will experience the same resurrection. Isn't that exciting news to anybody? My goodness, it ain't going to stay like this. Jesus promises us a better day. Just not, might not be today. <laughs> so let's close. Who was it? that killed Jesus. It was me. It was you. We're all complicit in his death. He was up there for all of us.
Could I have the members of the prayer team come up? As the members of the prayer team are coming up today to, to minister to you in your, in your time of need and whatever needs that you may have today, I want to know, did you locate me today? When I say locating me, the name of the series, locating me, did you locate yourself in any of this today? I know I, every person we've talked about, I've located areas in my life where I struggle or areas that I may be doing good in. It's good to examine yourself, to judge yourself lest you be judged. Have you recognized areas in your life where you've chosen self-gratification of religion over a relationship with Jesus like the Pharisees? It feels good to see the people see you, see how good you're doing. But we do so at the expense of the grace of Jesus. Maybe you've been hurt by what you thought was Jesus. And you walked away from your relationship with him like Judas. He didn't meet the expectations that you had, that you, that you were told, that you were promised. Why don't you just be the one who repents and comes back home? Maybe you're like the thieves here today. Maybe you've just now been confronted with the cross. Now you realize you've got to make a decision. I don't know where you are today, but I can say this. It's time for us all to stop killing Jesus, accept his grace, and get on the right side of the cross. Isn't that where you want to be? Humble servants, living in the grace, extending the grace, living in the mercy, extending the mercy, content with such things as you have, being a giver, being a blessing, enduring hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ, knowing that you're saving up your treasures in heaven and knowing that you're going to be on that right side of the cross. You're going to be one of his sheep. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.